How many of us have found it a profitable half-million-dollar business by the time we're 24? Not many, but Walter Hyman has, and he's our guest on today's episode of the Fortune's Path podcast. The company Walter founded, Junk Drop Nashville, partners with nonprofits to provide no-cost household items like clothes, construction materials, and appliances to people in need. Junk Drop connects those with too much with those with not enough. Learn why Walter never wants to sell anything he collects, why ecologically sensitive disposal is so important to his business, and what he loves most about being a leader. Ambitious, charming, and wise beyond his years, Walter makes a terrific guest on this episode of the Fortune's Path podcast. The Fortune's Path podcast is a production of Fortune's Path. We help technology businesses create products that generate monopoly profits. Fractional product leadership, product management coaching, sales enablement, research and analysis. Find your genius with Fortune's Path. Walter, welcome. It's so nice to have you here in the basement. It's great to be here. <laughs> yeah, thank you for thank you for reaching out. Um, so you're 25. I just turned 26. Just turned 26. Okay. Um, And um, so is what jobs did you have before you became CEO of a business? Um, So really not any job at all. So Mm -hmm. I graduated in 2020 Mm -hmm. and I actually lost my job during the coronavirus at a job up in New York City. And um, at the time, New York was kind of like the epicenter of COVID. And so, yeah, they they basically rescinded my offer and I kind of had to figure out what I wanted to do. Um, and there's a lot of steps between there and starting the business, but that was basically the catalyst that started it. So tell me a little bit about some of those steps. Like how did you come yeah. to first tell us a little bit about what the business is? So yeah, it's, it's junk drop Nashville. We're a junk removal donation logistics service. And what we do is we go into our client's home and we remove all of the items that they don't want anymore. Um, and so once we remove them, we sort them between reusable and non-reusable. The reusable items we actually store and we partner with seven different 501c3s that give us a list of recipients that need stuff. Um, And then once we store them, we actually deliver them and then we set them up for those recipients. Uh, The non-reusable stuff, we either recycle or we dispose of properly. So more or less, it's just, it's ethical junk removal where Mm -hmm. we donate the good stuff to people that need it. And so what's your revenue model? How do you get paid? So we're like 1-800-GOT-JUNK or Junk King or Junk Mm -hmm. Luggers, the other big franchises in the junk Mm -hmm. space. Um, and so we charge for removals. Mm-hmm. Um, and so so that's basically how we get paid. And any of the, some of that material that's reusable, do you ever resell any of that material? We don't. We've got a hardline policy that we started mm-hmm. like the second we started the company. Yeah. And, you know, because if anyone sees any of their stuff like on Facebook Marketplace, the mm-hmm. entire business is mm-hmm. done. Mm-hmm. And we we understand that. Mm-hmm. And we've got a bunch of great guys that have, you know, very high integrity and, mm-hmm. um more than anything, it's just fun to donate it. And so, and mm-hmm. so we, we hold by that, that motto. Now, um, do your, um, customers get a tax benefit for what they, uh, what they donate? Like, do you guys estimate the value of the stuff? That's a good question. We originally started doing that because, you know, Goodwill and Salvation Army and other, uh, 51C3s do that. Mm-hmm. The, the reason they're able to do that is because they take that item and then they sell it. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that, but we just have a different, um, sort of incentive for our clients we can guarantee them that their their item and a lot of times they have sentimental value attached to those items we can guarantee them that their reusable items can be delivered and set up for someone that needs it which is a very different value proposition than just taking it and then bring it to goodwill and then selling it mm-hmm. when you sell it you can you can have a rough estimate of the market value and then you can write that off for tax purposes but when you're delivering it and setting it up for family in need there isn't that market value. And we've talked to our CPA about that and about what that would look like realistically, but it, it actually turns into a pretty big headache for mm-hmm. us to like figure out the market value of each item. You know, when you're removing dozens of items every day, mm-hmm. and then also you'd have to get in coordination with which recipient within which organization, and then talk to the case manager and then link that back to the client. Mm-hmm. And for efficiency purposes, it just never made sense. And most of our clients are cool with that. So you you had started you talked about yourself as an ethical junk removal vendor. Are there unethical junk removal vendors? I don't think so. I think we mm-hmm. just kind of distinguish mm-hmm. ourselves as ethical. Mm-hmm. But um, I mean, junk removal isn't probably the most ethical industry if you're looking at like a, a general landscape of mm-hmm. of other businesses. I mean, it's a relatively new industry. 
And um, I definitely don't want to like come on a podcast and just smack tuck the competitors. Sure, but, yeah. mm-hmm. but at the same time, you know, they're basically incentivized to go to the dump. Mm-hmm. The vehicles they use to pick up their client stuff mm-hmm. have a PTO, which mm-hmm. is like a hydraulic lift. Um, and so the employees that they hire, they're not incentivized to remove the reusable stuff or find the recyclable stuff. Mm-hmm. They're incentivized to get tipped on the next job mm-hmm. and to go to the dump. And so when you sort of think of it like that, like the vehicles that we use to pick up our client stuff are all flatbed vehicles where we physically, if it's non-reusable, mm-hmm. we have to go into the truck and then remove it by hand. Mm-hmm. If it is reusable, obviously the same thing, but all those items are being removed by hand. And so we literally have the incentive to separate them um, the moment the job is done. And so kind of going back to the question, are other junk removal companies unethical? I don't think so. And I mm-hmm. think, you know, the, their corporate model is to do the right thing and donate as much as they can, mm-hmm. um, which I can go into the, their donating side a little bit more if you want me to. Yeah, but, yeah I'd be interested in hearing that. But yeah, I mean, well, their donating is basically just dropping it off at Goodwill when they do mm-hmm. donate it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we've actually been in talks with Goodwill. They're an amazing organization. But, mm-hmm. you know, as I kind of reiterated earlier on the podcast, like they take the stuff and then they resell it. Yeah. Um, and so the donated umbrella mm-hmm. is is pretty big because mm-hmm. what we're doing where we remove it, we store it, we pick it up from storage, we deliver it, we set it up, mm-hmm. we maintain relationships with a bunch of charities. Yeah. The value proposition is entirely different, right. but at the same time, it's still under the donate umbrella. Yeah, yeah. Are you trying to make a personal connection between the people who receive the material and the people who gave it up? In a sense, yeah. No, I think, mm-hmm. and going back to like the sentimental thing, people have mm-hmm. a lot of sentimental value mm-hmm. attached to their stuff. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times it's more than you would think. I mean, a lot of times you just look at something and you're like, oh, that's an old sofa mm-hmm. or it's an old dresser. But a lot of times people have had that in their family for a long time. And that is an item of someone that might've passed away. And so that's one of the reasons our business has become so attractive to a lot of clients is because mm-hmm. they don't want to just give it to Goodwill mm-hmm. and they don't want to just take it to the dump. Mm-hmm. Um and so one of the ways that we do build that connection between our clients and the recipient is by basically just taking a picture of it when it's in the home of someone that needs it. Yeah. So are you, um, you try to keep the identities of the people who receive the donations private or do you want there to be more? We ask them, we have a DocuSign that they sign if they mm-hmm. want to be involved. And more mm-hmm. often than not, they just love it. Like yeah. They're just having fun. Yeah. Um, like the guys that are dropping it off are having fun. The recipients having fun. They're generally just in- incredibly happy mm-hmm. because their entire place got furnished for free. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and so that's never been an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, if they, we ask them, they, we have them sign a DocuSign and if they say no, of course, like that's automatically, automatically yeah. done. Yeah. So, um, if I understand correctly, um, so what I'm wondering about, is there like a sort of a community effect here where, uh, I have a personal connection. As you say, I might have a personal connection to a sofa. It's been in my family for generations. And the idea of it going to the dump is heartbreaking. And uh, if I give it to Goodwill, that seems pretty um, impersonal. So it's like, I'd like to know where the sofa ends up. Yeah, right. Um, are you all kind of building communication around that? So somebody's like, oh, here it is in the house. And yeah. the dog's on the sofa. The dog loves your sofa. Right, right. Yeah, and we've, at this point, we furnished, I think it's over 300 homes, and we posted the entire way. I mean, you can look mm-hmm. at our social media, and you can mm-hmm. see mm-hmm. at the very beginning when it's just me and, like, a mm-hmm. beat-up pickup truck that's worth, like, three grand, yeah, yeah. picking up people's stuff, and then mm-hmm. doing it, you know, mm-hmm. to, like, two and a half, three years later, mm-hmm. you know, now. Um, and we've been really consistent in trying to keep that consistency and posting on social media and donating yeah. the stuff. Mm-hmm. And so, and so yeah, people can check us out on social media and, and generally see where their stuff goes. Gotcha. Um, but but yeah, that would be the connection. I got you. So you're you're doing it not as like a product feature, but as sort of like part of your marketing strategy is that you guys post a lot on social about here we are right. happily installing the couch. Right. We don't want people to just take us at our word yeah. because we want people to actually like see the proof in the pudding and like right. see the fact that we're actually out here like right. sweating, picking up sofas, delivering them yeah. to section eight and like mm-hmm. trying our best because it's one thing to just say, yeah, we're going right. to donate it. And it's right. another thing to be like, Here's a video of us, you know, walking mm-hmm. into, um, you know, Section 8 housing and delivering yeah. a, a sofa. So you're like, you're like my kids. You went to the same school as my kids. Um, didn't grow up rich, but in some degree of privilege. What's been one of the most surprising things to you about being with the poor? Um, 
one of the most surprising things I would say it would be, it's easy at first to kind of be more dismissive, but you really find out very fast that like people kind of end up in hard situations, not entirely by fault of their own. And it's, it's kind of easy to be like, Oh, you know, like maybe it's their fault, but in reality, you meet so many of these people and you kind of figure out like, actually they were just in a really bad situation. It happens all the time. And, um, yeah, I think the empathetic perspective has definitely grown a lot since we've you know interacted with these recipients. Um, I'm trying to think of other, I mean, that's probably the biggest thing. Have you met anybody who really shocked you about their story of like, oh my God, you really fell. I mean, like they, right. somebody who's like, you know, doing very well and then suddenly has nothing. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, we work with different charities and every single different charity has a different demographic of people that they're trying to help. Mm -hmm. For instance, we work with end slavery that work with, um, women that have been through uh, abuse, whether it's from their spouse, whether it's from people in their family. Mm -hmm. Um, but they kind of create like this anonymous, you know, it, they, they basically shelter these people and, and that, you know, in itself, like you meet these people that have been through like a, a, a lot mm -hmm. and, those people are really easy, you know, to empathize with. But then there's also like Oasis Center, you know, there's people that are 18 through 24 that are experiencing homelessness. Um, and they're people that are more your age. Mm -hmm. And it, it is definitely shocking to see someone that's like a year mm -hmm. below you mm -hmm. that is like needing, you know, a place to live and, and they're home furnished um, and help from these other organizations. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, just every different charity is a different demographic of people. Um, and... And yeah, so like everyone's situation is just so different. So it's hard to just kind of paint them with a broad brush of like, oh, you know, like things happen to people, like it is what it is. But there's so many people that are actually kind of victims that you, it's really hard to just kind of, yeah, paint them with that broad brush. Are you a little shocked at the, at the need? Like how many people are really suffering and in, in need of help? Yeah, I think the government I mean, don't get me wrong. They definitely don't do an amazing job, <laughs> but, but there's certain things they mm -hmm. actually cover fairly well, whether that's mm -hmm. like snap food stamps, you know, housing, there's certain mm -hmm. areas where they try to cover the bases yeah. and believe me, they're not perfect by sure. any means. They don't do an amazing job. It's a big job, but it's a big job. And, yeah. and they are, they have those, those processes and programs in place. There's certain things that like that NGOs sort of have to step in mm -hmm. and fill the void. And one of those things is furnishing a home. Mm -hmm. I mean, you think about the logistics, the mm -hmm. weight, just the bulk of these items, mm -hmm. and then how to get them to like a mother that has, you know, mm -hmm. like a lot mm -hmm. of our, our recipients are single moms in Section 8, Yeah. Um, which we, you know, originally we just thought it was kind of anecdotal, but it's become like this big task. Like there's a lot of single moms. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously they have, they don't have a pickup truck. They don't have the ability to pick up a sofa or like a mattress or even really to buy it for that matter. And so- that is a void that we are like kind of actively trying to fill. I'm sure we could do a better job. Um, but, but that is a void where the government sort of has that lapse. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, so yeah, we're, we're having fun with it. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the fun part. You work with, uh, eight guys. Yeah. Eight guys. How, how do you pick, um, and they're employees. You said yep. they're not, they're not, they're W2s. W2. Why did you decide to employ people rather than contractors? Um, that's a good question. We want them to represent our brand. Um, and so we want them to be full time and be mm -hmm. fully invested and obviously wear the clothes, show up and, you know, mark trucks. I actually have a friend that tried to do a contracting junk removal service. Mm -hmm. Um, he ended up like basically parting it out and selling it. But, um, I, I just think at this point in time, consumers want like an actual brand and they want recognizable people to go into their home with uniforms and clean, shiny trucks and approachable faces. And that's just sort of harder to do when you contract out people. Um, and so we've got a bunch of great guys in house that, that love our mission, love what we do. And excuse me. <laughs> sure. And uh, they're happy to work every day. And so we're really grateful to have them, but that was just mm -hmm. the best route when we looked at all the options. Mm -hmm. So you did it more or less. So you could control the product better. You felt like if you yeah. had contractors, you wouldn't have as much control. Totally. And a big thing in our business, I mean, typically in junk removal, integrity really isn't an issue because you're going to someone's house, you're picking up their things and mm -hmm. more or less they just want it out the door. Yeah. With us, our mission and our and our value statement mm -hmm. is to try our best to donate all the reusable stuff to families that need it. Mm -hmm. And that comes with a level of integrity that you have to have if you're an employee in our business. Mm -hmm. And so that would be something that like outsourcing that and contracting that would be would be problematic. Mm -hmm. I got you. Um 
What what do you think is the most difficult task for you? Well, first of all, do you want to grow Junk Drop? Yeah, I do. How big it's, How big do you see it getting? Um, that's really all I think about, but I, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I really don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm going to try my best, but um, it would be great to basically systematize and automate mm-hmm. everything that we can here. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the end goal is franchising. We've looked at like different methods, whether you're know, contracting things out, whether it's um, the corporate model. There's a lot of different ways to grow a business, but what's worked best in junk removal is is the franchise space. And and yeah, I mean, that's the end goal. We, we're not that close, but um, but that would be the end goal. Yeah. <laughs> so you 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 like see junk drop all over the country? I would love that. Yeah. Yeah. And how do how would you? So you mentioned I didn't catch them all. You mentioned a bunch of competitors at the beginning. Yeah. How would you differentiate against all those guys? I mean, our value prop is in the the donation logistics side of our business for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, typically, if you want someone to go to your home and remove non reusable stuff, mm-hmm. you know that is a very crowded marketplace. I mean, there's like, I think the the um, market cap for junk removal in the U.S. is like ten billion dollars. Not great. And, not huge. Yeah, yeah, it's not huge. Mm-hmm. But there's mm-hmm. literally tens of thousands of companies. So ripe for roll up. A hundred percent. And there's mm-hmm. tons of people that are just driving around their pickup truck, mm-hmm. picking up people's stuff, posting on Craigslist. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, when 800 got junk as much as I hate them have, <laughs> <laughs> they have, the truth comes out. <laughs> <laughs> they definitely have uh, mm-hmm. solidified the space by like pre uh, creating like a, an actual brand. Yeah. And, um, and they had a monopoly for a while, but now there's a ton of other franchises that have come in and, mm-hmm. and kind of gone under the eco-friendly umbrella or mm-hmm. they, there's just different, there's different niches to mm-hmm. develop the business in, but mm-hmm. um, there really isn't anyone that is doing the donation logistics service the way that we're doing it. Is What's that difference? Can you talk about that? Yeah. So other junk removal companies basically pick up your stuff mm-hmm. and then if they want to, if the client asks specifically, then they'll drop it off at Goodwill. But if not, they put it in the dump. But if not, they put it in the dump. And our our entire like structure of our company is mm-hmm. is donate first. Um and so, yeah, like as I explained earlier about like the way the process works, we, we, you know, sort it, we separate it between reusable and non-reusable, the reusable items we store, deliver directly to people that need it through the charities we partner with. And these other um, junk removal companies, although they do partner with charities, they partner with charities that are going to take the stuff and sell it. And they're definitely not delivering it into the homes of people that need it. And at the beginning, I remember starting this company and being like, I can't believe no one else is doing it. Like I'm mm-hmm. shocked by this. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you find the liability in it. You find the extra labor and like delivering it and setting it up where essentially you're like a marketplace of of furniture because there's a supply, which is the amount of reusable stuff that you get. And there's the demand, which is the recipients within these organizations. And you have to balance that. Sometimes you'll get too much stuff. Sometimes there'll be a huge demand. Um, And then also at the same time, like it it also turns into a moving company where Mm -hmm. you're moving the furniture into the home of someone that needs it. And there's a lot of added elements, but I think as like the American culture kind of progresses to like reduce, reuse, recycle and um, sustainability, I really think that there's a huge window for people that are willing to pay a premium to have that, mm-hmm. that happen. So at this point, have you taken any outside money? No, okay. no, not yet. Don't. Bootstrap the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. We, we were yeah, really man. scared at the beginning. We mm-hmm. paid for all of our vehicles cash because, mm-hmm. you know, it was just. Sure. You didn't want the overhead. Uh, yeah. I didn't want the overhead. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, it's just every time we would grow, we'd just buy another truck cash yeah. and then have half the amount of money we had in the bank and then just mm-hmm. keep doing it over and over again. And mm-hmm. um, that's, that's kind of the beauty in junk removal is you don't need a ton of capital. Yeah. How many trucks have you got now? We've got about eight. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. So you can be out at eight jobs at once. Yeah. So we, other junk removal companies, that's exactly how they work. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a junk removal. It's a, it's a junk removal truck with mm-hmm. a PTO, as I said earlier, that mm-hmm. lifts. Mm-hmm. Um, we have those flatbed trucks for mm-hmm. removals. Mm-hmm. And then we have PTO vehicles for going to the dump and recycling. Mm-hmm. So we have a PTO vehicle that is exclusively for recycling. So if mm-hmm. we get metal, we, you know, like gutters or whatever that is, that is non-reusable, we put that in metal and then we go to PSC and we recycle it. Mm-hmm. And then for the rest of the items that are non-reusable, once we sort them, we sort those flatbed trucks. We sort that into the storage units. Um, and then the non-reusable stuff we put into the dump trucks. And so we've got two dump trucks mm-hmm. and then uh, it's a dump trailer for recycling. And then we've got um, three box trucks and then four pickup trucks. Is there any um, 
industrial market or is this purely a residential thing? Because I'm thinking it's like, I got a job site, I'm going to have a lot of crap on it. Yeah. Um, and if I, you recycle metal, maybe you recycle other stuff. Yeah, we do do the occasional uh, industrial job, but for the most part, it's mostly residential. Because mm-hmm. you're not you're not reselling anything, so there's not like the stuff you pick up from a res- from a industrial site's all crap. Yeah, yeah. And basically, that's all going in the dump. Yeah, and a lot of a lot of construction sites have dumpsters on site. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's where they're just throwing it into. Yeah, it's interesting. So, what do you see as like the most um, difficult part to for you to scale the business so if you want to be national today you got eight trucks eight guys and uh what is the barrier for you to get to we'll just say 16 trucks and however many guys that's going to take the support yeah so when other junk removal companies franchise they send out their like franchise disclosure document to Mm -hmm. their franchisees Mm -hmm. and they basically follow it step by step Mm -hmm. And in the junk removal space, that's relatively easy to do. If you follow the guidelines, you follow the the, the trainings, and you have the correct way of interacting with the client, the the logos, the all of the things under the umbrella of the franchise are mm-hmm. correct. Mm-hmm. You check all the boxes. Excuse me. It's okay. With us, with us, the issue is integrity, and then mm-hmm. doing the right thing even when someone isn't watching. Mm-hmm. Um, because one franchisee selling an item can literally destroy the brand overnight. And that value proposition that we hold so highly for our client, which is we're going to deliver the reusable stuff to someone that needs it, not just donate it. That value proposition goes out the window the second someone sees something, you know, listed on Craigslist or Facebook Marketplace, or they sell it to a friend, whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. And so that's why we've been so cutthroat in maintaining that um, responsibility. Um, but then doing that under the umbrella of having, you know, dozens or hundreds of franchises across the country is going to be difficult to mitigate. But I, I, you know, I think it's nothing that technology or great automations or great systems can't replace. Hmm. Well, it's, so, but it, you're saying your, your um, secret sauce, so to speak, is integrity hmm. in that we, um, we donate the stuff. We don't try to profit off of what gets given to us. I think there's more, yeah, there's more than that, but I okay. would say that that would be a basic level. Okay. What's the, what's the more to it? I would say the other things that we do, we, I mean, we hire great guys. Yeah. And so not only just integrity, but we hire great, clean cut, um, honest people that want to do the work. Mm-hmm. And we hire guys that actually have fun out on the trucks. Like they're listening to music, driving around, they're interacting with the client. They actually love what they do. And we've hired people in the past that don't fit that mission and they work hard, but sometimes it isn't a great culture fit. Um, but that's one of the things we're, we've tried really hard to maintain is is just like fun guys yeah. that that are honest as well. So, um, have you had to fire people? Yeah, <laughs> talk to me about that. How, what was the first person you had to fire and why? Oh, I fired a couple people. There's there's sometimes where you just you, you and we've recently created we've updated the contract, but um, you know people show up late, people no show. I mean, junk removal. You're hiring. You know, it, it, it's a certain. We've got amazing guys, but it's hard to find unbelievable people in the junk removal space. Um, we have that right now, but mm-hmm. it's hard to consistently find that. And so you will get, you know, once you post on Craigslist for, for jobs or on like Glassdoor, you will get the occasional person that just doesn't meet all your criteria. And then you kind of have to like take a hard look in the mirror and be like, is this the type of company I want to grow? Mm-hmm. Um, and Brian Scudamore, the founder of 1-800-GOT-JUNK, he actually has a story about like five years into his business he had 11 employees and one day he just looked up and was like, this isn't the kind of company I want to run. These aren't the smiling, happy people that I want to employ. And he fired all 11 and restarted <laughs> in like year five at like, I think it was I hope over you don't half do that. Yeah. <laughs> and every time I like talk about firing employees, I always think of that story. I'm just, um, yeah, he's, he's pretty inspirational. So I look up to him a lot. So, um, but that, I hate him at the same time. Yeah, sure. I mean, but, <laughs> but that's a hard decision to make. So yeah, right. particularly if you're saying it's like cultural, it's like, well, why are you letting me go? You don't smile enough. You don't have enough no, fun yeah. on the truck. Obviously, it doesn't come down to that. It's not mm-hmm. about smiling enough, but it's mm-hmm. about like, do other guys want to work with you? Mm-hmm. Do other guys have a good time when they're working with you? Do you make other people feel comfortable when you're working with them? Do you pick up the slack when things get hard? And there's a lot of of smaller things that kind of go into that, but yeah, we never tell an employee you're not smiling enough and then kick them out. <laughs> you can get zoomed. <laughs> that actually that. hasn't happened yet. 
all of the guys and you know we mm-hmm. we want great guys and so we mm-hmm. and we're constantly hiring and so mm-hmm. it it takes a good amount to get like a every business has that problem i mean what yeah. you're saying it's like well it's hard to find enthusiastic people who will or everybody wants to work with them they'll go the extra mile it's hard to find that in, in software development it's hard to find that right. in any business right and then joker move what's really hard yeah yeah it's just <laughs> yeah. a different well i mean you're interesting do you get referrals the guys who work with you do they say oh i got a friend is that yeah, that's, that's the happened. best that's happened occasionally yeah is that yeah. a good way to get people yeah, it's it's worked pretty well, and you give them incentives for that as well. You say, you mm-hmm. know, if you get your friend, I'll give you some money. I'll give him some money. Mm-hmm. Bonuses. So yeah, we've we've done that in the past, and it's worked. What's so in terms of your formula for growth? What is um, the barrier? Is it getting people to give you stuff? Is it finding the charities to give the stuff to? You mentioned the balance between those. What do you say is the thing that you know? If you could double the business overnight, what is the the thing that makes that more difficult? Yeah, I think junk removal, like most businesses, is a sales and marketing business that happens to sell junk or remove mm-hmm. junk. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's what we are. And so I think, I mean, sales kind of solves all. If mm-hmm. we can just consistently be swamped mm-hmm. and so busy, we can we can pay to like get more ads to hire more people. We can mm-hmm. pay to get more trucks. We can pay to employ, you know, great guys in office that mm-hmm. help us grow. Mm-hmm. And so... That I mean, there's different beliefs around that, around mm-hmm. just like just sell more and your business will grow. But mm-hmm. but in our industry, at least, it, it seems more or less that simplistic because mm-hmm. the infrastructure and the capital requirements to grow are more trucks. Mm-hmm. And you're right, there is a little bit of discrepancy in like the 501c3s and partnering with more organizations and things like that, the supply demand of the donation logistics. But um, but there, you know, we're giving stuff to recipients for free. And so that there's that, a market for that. There's a market for that. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do you identify your, your, your leads? How do you attract new business now? So we are kind of restructuring that originally mm-hmm. we, we got really lucky mm-hmm. and that's, that's one of the biggest reasons this business even exists to begin with. So we got lucky. We got a bunch of amazing press in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and that really, you know, put rocket fuel in our business and, and mm-hmm. grew us really fast. So we were in mm-hmm. the Tennessee and, um, News Channel 5, like News Channel 2, Today Show, and that really gave us a ton of Like exposure. the national NBC Today Show? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, it gave us a ton of eyeballs. Mm-hmm. And actually, the Today Show didn't get us that much business. We'd get calls from like Alaska, and they'd be like, mm-hmm. hey, I think it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> and so, <laughs> Are you national? Like, that got old fast. We actually, when we were on the Today Show, like a little side story, mm-hmm. we like couldn't pick up our phone for like a day. Mm-hmm. And because we were just getting so many calls. I mean, none of them were from Nashville, so it yeah. wasn't like genuine leads. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, that was kind of funny. But but no, we got really lucky at the beginning and um, that gave us a ton of exposure and ton of business. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way that the majority of junk removal companies operate, there is, you know, some some print marketing, some guerrilla marketing and like, you know, um, yard signs and and billboards and, and radio ads and stuff. But more or less, the vast majority is like PPC, like Google AdWords. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is like the biggest driver. And we really almost didn't do that at all. The whole time, because we, we kind of didn't need to. Um, I, start, I wish we would have. You but, started doing it now? Yeah, we're doing it now. What kind and, of a return are you seeing on that? Um, you know what? I actually just started last week. And yeah. so mm-hmm. we've been doing it in the past, but it's just mm-hmm. like one of the things you turn off and on. And sure. I also didn't like take the time to actually invest into it. Yeah, I would just like run ads and like we get a call from Kentucky and I'm like, oh, wow, maybe my ads aren't that effective. Right, right. And But now, you know. It's I've, Google's fault. It's Google's <laughs> fault. But now I've like invested a lot of time learning about PPC because it's really expensive. I mean, it is you know, expensive. Now we're spending like 150 a day on just Google ads. And so, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um, but it helps a lot. I mean, you know, most clients, when they want junk removal, they just Google junk removal. Move and that's yeah. where it shows up. Exactly. So what, what's your typical sale? Like what's the cost of a, um, a typical removal? So the average job size for us is around like 320. I think the industry average is like 380. Do you determine that based on the number of trucks or how do you figure that out? Yeah, it's it's by truck, so it's mm-hmm. by volume. Mm-hmm. So we we started off in just pickup trucks, mm-hmm. and we started off. I think it was eighty five bucks to like one hundred and twenty bucks. That's cheap. It's cheap, mm-hmm. and then you know, and that's actually that was an issue because we got written up in Tennessee, and like it, actually the lady that gave us the exposure was Miss Cheap. Oh well, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. She's our neighbor like, here. She's amazing. Yeah, I yeah. love her so much. Yeah, she get, she really is the reason this business exists to begin mm-hmm. with, but. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and that was the rate we told her, we're like, yeah, mm-hmm. we'll do it for this much. We're trying to get started. Like I lost mm-hmm. my job to COVID. We'll mm-hmm. do whatever it takes to get a job. 
And we're in the Tennessee and like that, we got tons of calls Yeah, because we're the cheapest guys in town and we're like donating it. Mm -hmm. And obviously that wasn't economical Mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so we ended up raising the rate and then we raised it again. And I think now a pickup truck, like a one item pickup is Mm -hmm. usually like 120 Mm -hmm. and then a full truck is 175. Mm -hmm. Um, But usually the jobs we do are in the box truck, which is, it fits up to six. And so it's per six. So each six is 175. Mm -hmm. I got you. So you can take one box truck and do multiple runs with it. Yeah. Depending yeah. upon the, what's your, yeah, I guess. We you. usually just come back to the lot because we do have to sort it and stuff. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there'll definitely be times where there'll be two jobs out in mm-hmm. East Nashville and they'll just knock them both One out. One crew docks, yeah, takes them both. Interesting. So um, 320, I think you said? That's our average job size. Yep. And so we'll do, we'll, we've done like five figure cleanouts of like quarter houses and like. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are gross. Do you like, <laughs> it was, do you like that kind of job? Um, the, <sighs> I mean, it's a hoarder house. There isn't a ton to love, but, house. but, um, yeah, I mean the money, like the big cleanouts, mm-hmm. you know, where if someone passes away, they've got a whole house full of furniture. Yeah. Um, those are, those are great. So I'm just doing some like quick math. Yeah. Uh, if I got this right, you've probably done this math already. If you want to get to be a million dollar business, you're looking at 3,100 jobs a year. Yeah. 10 a day. Close. Yeah. Eight, eight, yeah. nine a day. Um, that's a lot. It is a lot. And so that's, that's the, um, it's, selling is the, is the main thing. It's less than that though, because mm-hmm. the big jobs make up for it. Like you'll gotcha. do a big job. that's like a thousand, mm-hmm. but then you'll do one that's 175. So your, your rates are that, but you're, you're probably average like cost per job is a little higher. Yeah. Yeah. Actually mm-hmm. you're probably right. Right. So I would say revenue per job maybe. Yeah. Um, that might be 500 bucks. Yeah. In which case you're, what is that? Try this again. Live math. It's dangerous stuff. It's 2000. Everybody out there is like, you couldn't do that in your head? <laughs> yeah, the goal is to get to like 3000 a day consistently. 3000 a day? Mm-hmm. Wow. So that's yeah, that's your national. At that, yeah. how, many, do you have any, how many trucks would it take to get to 3000 a day? The same number we have right now. We, we do about like, usually like 2500 a day. Mm-hmm. And... Um, not not jobs income income yeah three thousand three thousand dollars a day in income like consistently do three thousand mm-hmm. a day and it's a, yeah. it's a cyclical mm-hmm. business so like the winter is significantly slower mm-hmm. than than the spring and the summer mm-hmm. um yeah spring cleaning is definitely a real mm-hmm. thing so we do a lot of jobs then spring um, cleaning spring cleaning yeah spring cleaning mm-hmm. in summer we're, we're swamped so um have you started to develop kind of like what is it, Marie Condra sort of advice about like what, what's worth keeping, what's worth giving away in your own life? Have you looked at some of your possessions and gone, <laughs> I should get rid of that stuff? Yeah, that's a good question. I think, yeah, I mean, definitely. I've, mm-hmm. I've become way more minimalistic. Mm-hmm. And you just realize you just don't need that much stuff. You mm-hmm. just don't. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I mean, I still have a ton of crap, but like I, I definitely used to have more. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I've definitely felt good about decluttering in my own in my own way so as a young ceo do you do you celebrate a big sale at all will you go out and like buy yourself a watch or something no but we the guys we always get like big steaks and like go Mm -hmm. out and like Mm -hmm. get margaritas and Mm -hmm. um those big jobs are fun because like Mm -hmm. it just helps everybody Mm -hmm. you know because you do the small jobs 175 you're like almost at break even Mm -hmm. with dump fees and labor and and gas Mm -hmm. and wear and tear on the vehicles and Mm -hmm. insurance and you know, the storage unit, we're spending four figures a month on that and mm-hmm. the lots four figures a month. And, um, so there's a lot of expenses, but yeah. like you do a big job and then mm-hmm. it's just like, kind of, it's like a cathartic release of like, all right, mm-hmm. let's go get some more, let's go mm-hmm. do whatever. And in the spring and summer, we, we do a lot more than we do in the winter. So, I mean, you could be with this business for quite a while. Um, do you imagine yourself at 30, 35, 40 years old being in the junk business? I hope so. Yeah. I love junk. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) At that time, you'll be running franchises, I guess. I hope so, man. Like, we'll see. We'll see what Mm -hmm. happens, but I really hope so. So is there any information that's really helpful to you in the business? Like, um, is there anything that kind of gives you, yeah, is there any information that's really helpful to you? Yeah. You can go on franchimp.com and just read FDDs at different companies and see Mm -hmm. like their... Right. their margins and what they're spending money on and like what they're spending on marketing. And you know, what's it's, the name of that site? Uh, franchimp.com. Franchimp? Yeah. Like franchise chimp. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, Franchamp is like the name, but yeah, it's about mm-hmm. franchises. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, you can just, it's a free website. You can just mm-hmm. log in and see everyone's, because it's public information. Right. When you franchise a business, you have to release these FDDs. Mm-hmm. And so you can just search 1-800-GOT-JUNK. You can search mm-hmm. Junk King. You can search Junk Lugger. You can search College Hunks, Colin Junk. Mm-hmm. And you can read their value prop to their franchisees. You can read um, all of the mm-hmm. litigation in there. You can mm-hmm. read um, the gross average job size. You can mm-hmm. read a lot of sensitive information that, that private corporations wouldn't do. Yeah. Um, not saying they're public companies, but they're franchised. Like their, their information is publicly available. That's really interesting. I didn't realize that. Yeah. So that's, that's like a sort of MBA education just on that. So do you feel like you've learned about the business by reading about other people who are in it? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I watched a lot of videos and just like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And friendship helps a lot. So, um, you've said that it's a crowded space. Um, do you feel like you've deliberately crafted your differentiation story or is this more something you sort of, was it like, I didn't have to think about it. It was just natural. Uh, that's one of the reasons I wanted to come on is because I want to work on it and mm-hmm. I feel like it isn't perfect, mm-hmm. yeah. but you know, I'm trying my best. And so. Yeah. What do you yeah. want to spend a little time sort of polishing it now? Yeah. That's kind of, yeah. Yeah. Okay, great. <laughs> no, I'm glad you asked. Um, I think the ethical junk removal is a, is a really interesting angle. Yeah. Now you don't have to. I don't recommend you dump on your competitors. Your your instinct to say, I don't want to go on a podcast and say these other guys stink is spot on. Yeah. Because you know you talk dirty about other people, people think they're dirty about you. It's I know. Like you must be totally. hiding, Yeah, you must be hiding something. Your emphasis on the character of the people who the kinds of people who work with you. Um, there's some polish of that language that you have to do where, where, it, where it doesn't sound like you're biased. It doesn't sound like you have a certain, mm-hmm. um, like only a certain race, appearance, whatever of somebody can work with us. Obviously, that's not what you're doing. Mm-hmm. But that- Well, half this, our team members are black. Yeah. I mean, so yeah. it's like, I mean, um, you want to, um, there's that sort of talking about, you have to be careful about how you talk about that. Okay. Because some people could be a little like- you know, oh, yeah. Oh man, what yeah. I say? Nothing specifically, you know. And um, I also have to be, you know, you're not a stranger to me. Like you, yeah. you grew up with my kids, and so I have to yeah. be careful that I'm not bringing my own bias. No, I think that's great advice. Yeah, I, and I definitely. There's a lot of things I've said in a lot of interviews and podcasts. And I'm like, oh my gosh, okay. <laughs> anything in the world, take that back. Just rewind you, that. No, you haven't you haven't done that yet. Um, I think that the the, the other thing is uh, we don't go to the dump. Yeah, you know, so it's like we you, we go to the dump. Yeah, I mean, you, but you separate out. You know, it's like yeah, there yeah. is some going to the yeah. dump. We we spend the time. So, for instance, I have electronics. My house is full of electronics. It's a pain in the butt to get rid of electronics. Yeah, and I paid for. <laughs> it was such a ridiculous process. Um, I paid to mail my crap to somebody. And then months go by, and they send me something sure. back, and they, I say, I thought you were going to tell me what this was worth tax-wise. And they go, no, we can't do that. <laughs> what was, why did I go through this hassle? Oh, so yeah. you like shipped in like a big box? Yeah, it was like I had to buy my box. I think they sent me two boxes. I oh. filled those boxes. I shipped the box. It was a total pain in the ass. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And, you know, like, hey, thanks for your stuff. And they, <laughs> they refurbish it and resell it. You know, so oh. it's not it's not a charity thing. It was like, oh yeah, we yeah. You know, we refurbish it, and and I just felt like such a stooge. So <laughs> I I think you know, like saying to somebody, you've got paint in your house, you've got stereo equipment in your house, you've got old computers in your house. All those things require mind space to figure out how to get rid of them. Well, right. no, they don't. They require three hundred and twenty dollars, right? And I'll get rid of it for you. That's you exactly know? that's the exact marketing angle that mm-hmm. 1-800-GOT-JUNK took mm-hmm. was like, you snap your finger, you point, just point, and it's gone. And it's gone, yeah. And it's gone. Mm-hmm. And I think they that's one of the reasons they revolutionized the industry is because mm-hmm. they find the simplicity in it. Mm-hmm. They don't talk about what they do after it, you know, yeah. or whatever. But and I think 1-800-GOT-JUNK, like, they're not by any means the worst about mm-hmm. throwing good things away. Mm-hmm. But the simplicity and just being like, you want something gone, we'll come to your house and we'll make sure it's gone. Yeah. And that's all they market. They're like, point, yeah. it's gone. Right. Which is just insanely simple value proposition. But th- they're like, we're going to be the best at it. Well, it's, I love that, but it's great for people like me who No, are, for us it's different, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. For, for, like, for you, my kid's generation, your generation, you're like, where are you taking it? I'm not exactly, smart enough to exactly. ask that question. 
Exactly. You know, I'm just like, oh, thank God it's gone. You know, uh, it's exactly. like, oh, I dropped it in the river. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, you guys are, you're smart enough That's to say. the Craigslist guys. Yeah. You know, it's like, where's. Cumberland River. Right. It goes to the Cumberland River. Right. It's like, where's it going? And that's, oh, it goes to this charity, to this charity, to this charity. Right. So as you start to branch out into new markets, the first thing I would do is establish relationships with those top tier charities. Yeah. And they're, and I'd make them local. Right. You know, so like you, you mentioned Oasis Center. I think Oasis Center is local. Yeah. You know, people yep. who have, whose halo effect you can get some shine from. And the other thing that you, you learned early on is how priceless earned media is. Right. Really so, if, yeah, it's like, you know, you said it was the difference, even even in the beginning where you were losing money maybe on every load and working mm-hmm. yourself to death. Yeah. That was incredibly important for establishing so the name. Right. So it might have been worth, because um, you probably get repeat business. I'm sure mm-hmm. people move and they call you back. Yeah. You know, but so, once a year is the average. Yeah. So I mean, that's like, you know, it's like junk as a service, right? You know, I'm a software as a service guy. So it's yeah. like, can you subscription junk? Yeah. You know, so I think that's another thing to think about in your growth is, is there a better way to price? Right. Um, I mean, so much of your profit depends upon your pricing. Right. And that's the, the most important factor. And so is there some way where it's like it's a dollar a day, you know, and then you've just raised your price 45 bucks? Yeah. You know, um, and that where it's a come we're. 20, whatever it is, 48 hours, 24 hours, whatever it is, point at it, and it's going to the right home. Yeah. So I think that's, you. you I love it that you've like zeroed in on his point at it and it's gone, because that immediately gives you the opportunity to tag something on at the end of that. 100%. About, you know, and it's going to the right home. Right. You know, it's like, and I think um, also posting about your separation process. Right. You know, it's like, okay, this is how we do it. We take it back, and this goes in the reuse pile. This goes in the, you know, to the special, um, whatever, the toxic dump pile. This goes into the regular dump pile. Mm-hmm. Um, and giving people insight so that, um, you know, so you're a transparent organization. Like, you're aware of your brand. Yeah. Uh, and you want people to be able to, like, completely understand what you do from that PPC. So... I mean, it's 150 bucks or whatever it is, I don't know, for, per click. We need a conversion rate of like 50%. <laughs> it's <laughs> right. it's got to be really high. I know. So that, that whole journey has to be mapped out the PPC really, really like, clearly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, it's true. It's true. I mean, if you look at like other industries, I mean, like mm-hmm. lawyers and people in 18 wheeler accidents and neurosurgeons mm-hmm. and stuff, there, mm-hmm. I mean, a click could be, you know, 10 grand, 20 grand. Right. I mean, you're 320 bucks. bucks. Yeah. But, um, at the same time, you know, we're not competing with other companies. That was actually one of the reasons I started this was because, I, you know, there's a lot of people that I would see online that would, mm-hmm. when they started a company, mm-hmm. they, would, they would look at things. I mean, what is expedient is kind of first. Mm-hmm. And then what's going to make the most money. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, what seems cool. Yeah. And for me, it was like, if I get to start a business, I get to pick who I'm competing against. Mm-hmm. And I get to pick the person that is trying to beat me. And I just always kind of looked at it as like, all right, if I get to pick the person that's going to beat me, let's pick like some low hanging fruit that people are kind of embarrassed to even get into the industry. Like the junk business. So it's not even that crowded. Mm -hmm. And then what if we flipped the industry on its head and kind of did like donation logistics, gone to that niche. And yeah. And I also had no money. Like I had Mm -hmm. literally no capital. I had Mm -hmm. like two grand. Mm -hmm. And so I had a pickup truck and I was like, I'm going to remove it. Mm -hmm. And if it's reusable, I'm going to work with Oasis Center and then deliver it. They were your first partner? Yeah. Because I volunteered with them in high school. And Mm so, um, yeah, like Austin Lewis, who's the head of the rapid uh, rehousing program at at Oasis Center. Mm -hmm. I just told him, I was like, hey, I'm going to get a bunch of great reusable stuff because I'm going to start this junk business. I'm driving around a truck. Mm -hmm. If you have a recipient that needs a bed or a sofa or something, just let me know and I'll just drive it over. Mm-hmm. And then the, I posted on next door and I was like, yeah. this is what I'm doing mm-hmm. by the way. Right. And I think uh, people like the mission, but I think more than anything, people kind of like the humility in that of just being like, Hey, I lost my job. Yeah. I'm driving around a pickup truck in my hometown yeah. where all of my friends are from. Right. right. And I'm going to be picking up your trash. Mm-hmm. So if you want, if you have trash that you want picked up, I'll do it. Just for give you. me a call and I'll do it. Yeah. And I think people are like, all right, like let's you know give him a shot. We'll got some trash. We'll remove it. And um, I think that really helped me a lot at the beginning. Um, yeah, I think your origin story is fantastic. I mean, how the ties in the COVID, 
um, your age, your generation, all those things I think about your story are really compelling. I can see thank why you. you've gotten a lot of press. Yeah, thank you. Thank yeah, because it's a, it's a story that's like, oh, wow, that's a really interesting story. Anyway, I got an attic full of crap. Um, <laughs> do you guys do anything where you're like, well, we'll take it out and put it on the lawn, and then you can point out and decide what you want to keep and we put back and what you want to take out? Um, yeah, we can, we can work something out. <laughs> <laughs> right. I need to do that because it's like – I, don't, I mean, otherwise, I have to take it all on the lawn and figure out what I'm going to do with it. And I don't want to oh, do right. that. Yeah. You couldn't just look at it in the attic, in the attic and separate it? Kind of, but it's just so much, you know, yeah. you got to go through the, anyway, It's and it's nasty up there. And, you know, who wants to we do We do that? a lot of attic jobs. Yeah. Hey, listen, it could not be worse than hoarder houses. We've done plenty of hoarder houses in our day. <laughs> Is, I'm sorry, a warehouse or? A hoarder. Hoarder, 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 hoarder house. Yeah. So like, oh my God. Yeah, we've had, oh yeah, we've had some bad ones. I can show you some pics. Yeah, been, I mean, no, I mean, we had somebody... In our neighborhood, bought a house to flip, and um, she got in the house, and she's like, there's, like, dead things in here. It's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. Some of them are just, like, mm-hmm. unbelievable. Mm-hmm. All, all trash, I guess. Yeah, all trash. We've seen, like, we, I mean, we've literally seen, like, urine and, and like, feces on the ground. Yeah. And I don't know. It, it's, That's <laughs> creepy. Yeah, it's creepy. Mm-hmm. We've had mm-hmm. jobs where we like go in, I think we posted one on our Instagram, but mm-hmm. all the guys are in like full on hazmat suits, oh, like man. masks and stuff. So you've never had a job you've had to turn down, but you've been like, we can't take this. It's too disgusting. We never turned out a job. We just okay. quote really high. <laughs> <laughs> it's a businessman. It's Yeah. It's, that's how it is. I'm telling you, we'll see like poop on the wall and be yeah. like, that's, that's another. <laughs> <laughs> You're not removing that. <laughs> that's how actually a lot of businesses operate you know a lot of yeah. service businesses like hvac guys they'll see like or like an electrician they'll see a giant yeah. jumble of wires and they'll be like listen i'll do it but you're gonna you know yeah here's my number and you go get other quotes please but right. this is what i would do for <laughs> you're getting the really awful job <laughs> premium right right, right. <laughs> so could you see yourself ever uh working for anybody else you're now spoiled and you're like you're gonna have to be the ceo of every every business you ever have yeah i think it'd be hard mm-hmm. i think it'd be hard what do you like best about being a CEO? Um, what do I like best? Um, I think like getting to pick the people you work with is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So getting to pick people that like you like that like create a good team and like a good environment, like where you want to show up to work or you're excited about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also like the leverage of like owning a company like it allows you to like grow at your own pace and also allows you to like control the growth and that that's helped me a lot because there's times where it's like we're slow but like that's okay like in the Mm -hmm. winter at the very beginning Mm -hmm. when like you're only getting a couple jobs a day but like you've saved up some money like you're like okay we can now focus on like building processes or cleaning the trucks or making sure the systems are in place Um, and when it's busy you can be like all right we're going to ramp this up even more and so, like, controlling the pace of the job and then working with really cool people is, is fun. What's the biggest headache for you? It's also people. Yeah. <laughs> it's also people. <laughs> well, you're in a very people business. Yeah, it's a very people business. It's like going into people's homes. Yeah. And then it's also interacting with, obviously, the employees. And yeah, yeah, it's it, managing people is also hard as well mm-hmm. because you've got a bunch of high school kids that think they're this shit and they're mm-hmm. not, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And they've all, you know, I love them to death, but, you know, when I was in high school, it was the exact same way. Mm-hmm. And so, it, you know, managing teenagers and then managing adults. We've got a guy on our team that's in his fifties and we've got mm-hmm. a guy, you know, that's 17. Mm-hmm. And so managing all those people in the same environment under the same rules, mm-hmm. um, has is challenges for sure. Do they, do those guys relate to the mission? Like you see, you got a 50 yeah. on the 17 owner. They're like, I like, I like going into somebody's house and giving them a couch. Right. No, they all do. Mm-hmm. I mean, genuinely like, it's fun to just like sit here and be like, yeah, we're great guys. Like we, you know, mm-hmm. but it's actually fun to do. Mm-hmm. Like it's actually fun to like mm-hmm. deliver furniture into the home of someone that like actually needs it. Yeah. And you'll, you know, you'll go into a home. Someone maybe is sleeping on the floor and you give them a bed and mm-hmm. like, that's an amazing feeling. Yeah. And so selfishly, it's just a ton of fun. Yeah. And I mean, it's also, um, the people are glad to see this stuff go. Yeah. Yeah. The clients as well. Yep. Yeah. So, um, being an entrepreneur is pretty cons- all-consuming. I mean, uh, how many hours a week would you say you work? I don't know because I, I, I'm trying to think uh, about my day. I mean, usually I'll just be on like SimRush like, looking at like data of the competitors and mm-hmm. um, 
I'll go through phases where I like obsess over the competitors, which is just totally unhealthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It's so unhealthy. I mean, mm-hmm. every single good founder has been like, just focus on the consumer and they'll take care of you. Focus on the employees. They'll take care of you. Focus yeah. on your product and they'll take mm-hmm. care of you. Mm-hmm. Those are like the big three different yeah. ideologies around being a founder. Right. But I just, I'm like really competitive and I just want to beat them really bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, <laughs> and so it's like, it, I like for me, it's really personal. Mm-hmm. And so when like I see that they're even getting jobs, it's like, why are people going with them, not us? Like, what is it? Is it our website? Is it our branding? And like, obviously there's a million reasons. Like there's yeah, businesses that have been around a lot longer than us. And could be nothing. It could be nothing. It could be yeah. they just randomly clicked. Right. But like every single time I see like a review from like someone else in a different business, mm-hmm. I'm like, what incentivized them to do that instead of going with us? I think that's a good puzzle to keep in your head. Yeah. Um, I do think that um, you can make yourself nuts with it. So Totally. It's a little bit like the way one way I look at competition is every musician needs to listen to music. And when you start out playing not playing guitar, you're going to imitate the people who are your influences. And then eventually you're going to develop your own style. And so if you think about competition in the market in that way that these are I'm not trying to, you know, shame Jimi Hendrix with my guitar playing, what I'm trying to do is establish my own voice and I'm inspired by Jimi. Right. Um, And, you know, so you can have more of a friendly sense of, you know, we can all get along. One of the things I I loved about Bobby Frist, who was my old boss at Hellstream, was Bobby always felt like, you know, he was in the Frist family. Yeah. Yeah. Very competitive guy. Very competitive, but quietly. I mean, he, he same, he went through the same process you go through about when he would hear that we lost a sale, he'd be like, how do we, what do we do? How do we, you know, he's, <laughs> he would just, he was really, took them all very personally. But he would talk to anybody, you know, yeah. anybody with a business, any, anybody who was in health tech, you know, you could go, he was interested. He wanted it to, and he, yeah. he would share his point of view on the market very freely. And I loved that he was that open-minded about it. And, yeah. you know, and he was very generous with his time, very generous with his ideas. And um, so I think there's a way to exist in a market that can be competitive where you don't have to take everything, you don't have to lose sleep over it. Right, right. And I do think that um, excessive, so things like price and product features can change a lot and they can change quickly. What doesn't change so quickly is people's perception of a vendor. So you don't compete against the reality of 1-800-JUNK. You create against the idea 1-800-JUNK has created in the market. Yeah. Because I don't know, if I haven't used 1-800-JUNK before, I have no idea if their guys smell bad, if they show up late, if they're all smokers. They all smell bad. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I have no idea about that. Um, but um, uh, but I, I so I'm going to make my decision based upon the impression that they right. create. Right. Yeah. So I'm I'm working on this concept of, a, of an initial consideration set product or consideration set. And the idea being that um, most things are bought online in one form or another. I go and I do research and I might look at reviews or, you know, I, I just, I do my pay-per-click. And so the actual substance of that product is less important than the image of that product. And so you want to understand where do we fit in the space in that, in that market's conversation. So right now, your market's conversation sounds like it's dominated by, you point to it and it's gone. Yeah. Or it's dominated by, hey, we're cheap and we'll move anything. <laughs> you know, you don't want to, that's not where you want to be. Yeah. And so not. you're adding this element of it's fun, we're ethical, we sort the stuff and we, um, you know, the right stuff goes to the right home. Everything right. ends up in the right place. Uh, and then we're going to, you know, you can follow us and it's fun to see where your things right. go. We enjoy delivering the bed to the person who doesn't have a bed, you get to enjoy seeing the bed get delivered to the person who doesn't have right. a bed. So that's a on an area. Um, I'm talking a lot, but anyway. <laughs> no, it's actually really helpful information. Yeah, that's an area that I would work on is developing your community. Yeah. So one of the things Bobby used to talk about that was really interesting was he had a formula for our product. We were building tech products. And back then the formula was platform content data. And so it's like, first you, we were sending um, learning material and, and other content to hospitals. First, you develop the platform to send it into the hospital. So the platform you're building, 
you talked about it earlier. You have a moving business and you have two markets that you have to manage. Mm -hmm. One is a market related to the nonprofits. So one thing is like, is there data in that market that's valuable to other people? Are there yeah. other services that you can provide to that market that are valuable to it? And then the one mm -hmm. is identifying people in need. Like you talked about uh, government inefficiency. Well, one reason why is it's the data is not easy to get about who needs stuff. Yeah. So is there even an angle for you guys that when you go to these homes and you deliver the couch, there's somebody with you from family services and that person does or from a hospital nearby and that person does basically a home visit to say, are you taking advantage of all the services available to you or are you taking your medications? Yeah. I mean, that, that market is in desperate need. Yeah. That, you're, that you're serving of a gazillion different kinds of services. So that's right. a whole network that you're building. Yeah. Anyway, I'll just stop there. Do you have any reactions to all that stuff? Yeah, I think my uh, wheels are turning a little bit on other mm -hmm. products that we could offer for the like recipient on that end. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's a great idea. I think mm -hmm. there's a lot of meat in the bones on that, but I need to... You're just doing it for a bit. Stew on it for a bit. Yeah, I think, so I would think, think broadly about what you're doing and realize that... Um, there's multiple channels for this potential business. Right. You know, it's like you, you've got the nonprofits, you've got the people in need, you've got the moving. So it's logistics, and then there's also right. two elements of a data business to it. Well, what I think is really interesting, and one of the things we basically figured out when we started was we looked around and we did research. We don't believe that this has existed before where mm -hmm. you know, we do junk removal and we say, mm -hmm. oh, we're going to donate the good stuff. Mm -hmm. But we've also had plenty of clients that transact based on the fact that we're going to deliver their stuff mm -hmm. to someone that needs it. Mm -hmm. And we haven't seen that model play out. I don't think ever. I don't think there is any other business in the US. And the fact that there's a demand for someone willing to pay money to have an item logistically given to someone in need is literally a market in itself. Yes. That that doesn't exist. I mean, maybe it exists and you know, you buy like a flower or you send it to somebody else or maybe you buy like you know, you buy one pair of Toms, they give one pair to someone in like a third world yeah, country or whatever. Yeah, but you're connecting strangers. Exactly, yeah. And that market, you know, there are charities mm -hmm. that focus, I mean, most charities focus on like housing or food or mm -hmm. the bigger broad demands of people in need. Mm -hmm. um, the logistics of furniture moving mm -hmm. isn't something that almost any charity really, and they're actually, People Loving Nashville does do it a little bit themselves. So they have volunteers do it. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times there aren't, the volunteers don't have the physical capability to move a lot of the stuff. They don't have storage space. They don't have trucks that are capable of doing yeah. it. And also like, it, it, there's the, a lot of processes and that logistics are kind of messy. Whereas mm -hmm. we're a, like a, a business that is created to fulfill that demand. Um, but yeah, I mean, there was a couple of times where we just like do a job and they're like, I can't wait to see this in the home of someone that needs it. And then we'll like, you know, I'll pay whatever. Yeah. And obviously you don't charge them whatever. But, right, 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 right. But, but. <laughs> yes. All right, well, That's, here you go. There you go, right. Like, we're going to charge you like you got poop on the wall. <laughs> well, there is, but, there is, you know, thinking about like, what are the other things we can bring while we're here? We got a truck. What's some other stuff we can bring while we're here? Right, totally. So, so like you're saying, so you've got that market of somebody in need. How many different things... Um, I don't know, like Meals on Wheels. I mean, how many different yeah. services can be connected to that? Yeah. No, I think there's a lot. Yeah. And um, yeah, it just, it's interesting. Well, congratulations on your success so far. Thank you so much. And it's going to be a lot of fun to uh, to follow it. Thank you so much. Um, so one one last thing. So uh, I can't ask you what you would tell your younger self because you're you're 26. <laughs> um, but if what would what do you wish you knew when you started the business that you know now? Man, I didn't know anything at all. <laughs> I would say just to be more patient because I think it's okay for things to take time. Originally it was like I want to like find product market fit, I want to make a million dollars, I want this business to be profitable and I want to like supplement my whatever income would I would have had in a different job. Um, but I think it's more fun when it like takes a little bit of time and especially when it's like blue collar work and you can like look back on all the pictures and be like, man, we like, we're hauling trash out of that basement. Remember that? Like three mm -hmm. years ago. And mm -hmm. it just makes like the fruit at the end a lot sweeter when you're doing like, you know, you're working hard and mm -hmm. you're like working with people and, and just trying to grow it organically and bootstrapping. And, um, but at the beginning 
I wasn't really caught up in like the romance of like starting a business. It was more just like my friends are doing tech jobs and I'm hauling trash. And so my back gets against the wall and I have to do everything it takes to make this work. Yeah. Um, whereas I wish I would have just kind of enjoyed it more. I think that's great advice. In the end, you may end up richer than they are anyway. So <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> I doubt we'll see. <laughs> Walter, it was great having you. Thanks. Yeah, thank you so much. It's a lot of fun. Special thanks to Walter Hyman for being our guest. Music and editing of the Fortune's Path podcast are by my son, Ted Noser. Look for the Fortune's Path book from Advantage Books on Amazon and at fortunespath.com. The Fortune's Path podcast is a production of Fortune's Path. We help technology businesses create products that generate monopoly profits. Fractional product leadership, product management coaching, sales enablement, research and analysis. I'm Tom Noser. Thanks for listening, and I hope we meet along Fortune's Path.